the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of, to, of, to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God, thank you for your word. Um, these are a lot of verses and there's so much in here. Uh, open up our, our hearts, open up our minds to understand, to believe and actually uh, be changed by your, your word. God, we love you, we thank you. In your name, amen. What word is repeated over and over and over in these verses? Rest. What's our topic today? <laughs> Rest, right? I mean, it's over and over in here. Now, here's something I want to point out first. Um, in this passage right here, we have reference to creation. We have reference then to um, the wandering in the wilderness. And then we have quotes from Psalms. So this one passage is making very clear, we need our entire Bible, right? It refers to this part, and then it refers to this part, and then it quotes this part, and then again here. Meaning our gospel doesn't start in Matthew. It starts in Genesis. And I think that's really important, right? That we understand it's all one thing. If you reject the, the stories in the Old Testament, you cannot accept what's in the New. And a lot of people have done that. That's why there's been a lot of drift, right? Is, oh, I can't believe about creation. I can't believe miracles. You know, these things, the parting of the Red Sea, I can't believe that. Well, then you also can't believe about the virgin birth or Jesus's resurrection. So my point is, the Old Testament is true and relevant, and it helps us understand what's in the new. Now, here's the story that he is referring to, uh, and Paul talked about it some last week. So if you missed that, uh, go online and listen to it. It was awesome. When Moses led the, the Israelites out of Egypt, right, and this is roughly 1500 BC, okay, Roughly, they're enslaved in Egypt. God comes to Moses, right? He says, you're gonna set my people free. And how does he do it? With signs and miracles. There's the plagues in Egypt. There's plenty of movies out there about it. It's not a myth that actually happened. Ends with, right, the death of the firstborn. Moses leads them out, finally, parts the Red Sea. If you remember that, they come to the sea like, oh no, they're coming behind us. They're gonna kill us. He parts the Red Sea. They cross to the other side. The Egyptians follow it. It comes in. Uh, God gives them a, a cloud, right, uh, during the day to lead them on. And at night, that it moves behind them to protect them. Uh, in the day, it's a flame so they can, I mean, all this cool stuff, right? And he tells them, I'm t taking you out of Egypt and we're going to the promised land. And here's the, the, the parallel. The promised land is the, the land of rest, right? That's the goal. We're going to this land of rest, of peace. God has promised to us, not slavery anymore, freedom. That's where we're going. So they're, they, they're set free, they see all these awesome things. They get to the promised land, right? It took probably a couple weeks to get there. They get there, they set up camp, and they send 12 spies. God tells them to do this. They send 12 spies, one from each tribe, and they go into the promised land to check it out. And they go, go through, and they spend 40 days wandering around, checking out the promised land. They come back, right? All 12 come back, and two of them are carrying a pole between them like this with grapes in the middle, the grapes are so big and that it's like bending this pole between two people having to carry it. How awesome is that? So they come back with that and probably with a thing of milk and a thing of honey. They're like, check out what we found. This place is flowing with milk and honey, right? There's lots of food. It's great. And so they give this good report of the land. It's just as good as God said, even better. But there's giants there. There's a lot of people there. There's giants and we can't, we can't win this fight. Two of those spies, right, Caleb and Joshua, they said, don't listen to those 10. Yeah, there's giants there, but we can take them, right? Didn't we just see what God did? He parted the Red Sea, all this stuff. He's telling us to go in, let's do that. So, so here's the message that they received. This passage refers to a message. The message was this, Israelites, 
I am your God, you are my people, this is your promised land, I'm giving it to you, go in. Go into it, it's yours. That's what he told them, that was his promise. They said, no. They got to the edge and they said, ooh, it's too scary. And what they did then was, was these 10 convinced the, the rest of Israel, it's too scary, we can't go in, they're gonna whoop us. Uh, and so they rebel and they're like, oh, we're gonna kill Moses, we're gonna go back to Egypt, all the, I mean, this big rebellion coming up. And again, Caleb and Joshua, two of those spies, said, no, don't listen to them. So God finally intervenes and goes, you knuckleheads, um, now things are changing, right? I told you to go in, you disobeyed me, now you can't go in. Right? So he says, you can't go in. And by the way, bring me those 10 spies, the ones that give the bad report, um, brought them. They had a plague. They died right there in front of everybody else. Um, and God curses them, basically. And he says, now for 40 years, you've got to wander in the wilderness, and you can't go in. Unless you're under 20 years old. So I don't know why that was the age, but his cutoff was 20. Um, so 40 years later, they do go in. Joshua leads them, one of those spies, which is cool, and Caleb's there. Everybody's under 60 years old, except for Caleb and Joshua, who might be mid-60s. We don't, we don't know. They don't get to go in. So God says, you cannot go in, right, because you disobeyed. Then they change their mind. They're like, wait a minute. we got to wander out. We just came through that. That place is awful. 40 years there, and we're going to die there? Never mind. We'll obey now. He's like, no, it's too late. It's too late. They're like, no, 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 no. And so they try and take the land. A bunch of them, they get together, and they go in, and they get whooped, and they all get killed, right? And he's like, no, you have to obey me. That's the story the true historical story that he's making the parallel here of why they did not get to enter the rest and then for us, how we can enter the rest. So I hope that helps put some context to what he's talking about. Um, now, here's the other thing, though. What is this, this rest? So he refers back, right? This rest is the promised land, but then he makes this comment in verse eight. Uh, he says, for if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. Meaning, there's a greater rest than just that promised land. Because 40 years later, Joshua did lead them into the land. They did take it. And God's like, that's actually not the ultimate rest I was talking about. Because there's one later on. And these quotes that we see in here are from Psalm 95. So if you want to read Psalm 95 this week, you know, write that down. And it's David quoting this story, right? Saying, here's what God said, that there's another day. And what's that day? Today. So David is writing, you know, hundreds of years later saying, today we can enter his rest. Well, the people reading that would be like, well, we're in the promised land right now, so what are you talking about? And now the, the writer of Hebrews is using the same stuff. Today you can enter his rest. So what is this rest? Some would say this is heaven, right? Because the promised land was the destination of rest. Our future promised land, our destination of rest, is a new heaven and a new earth, right? Heaven, which will be physical, but it's like that's what it's talking about. Partly, but not completely, because right here, again, we see the language here is present tense, and there's a lot of today. And even Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to, to 30, where he invites, right? Come to me. I will give you rest. That's today. So this is present tense. So here's in your notes. Jesus offers real peace and rest for us here and now. For us here and now. And guess what? The, the writer of Hebrews is writing to people who their life is not awesome, right? right? They're not wealthy, healthy, you know, everything's not going well. They're in turmoil and persecuted and poor. He's saying, in that situation, continue to follow God and I can give you rest in the midst of it. That's important. Uh, here's something that, that I noted as I was studying this. The word in Matthew, where he says, come to me and I will give you rest, is not the same as the rest found in Hebrews. 
It's a, a different word, actually, and it's all written in Greek. The New Testament's written in Greek, and they're different words. The first one in Matthew refers to relief or refreshing, uh, like a ceasing from, you worked hard all day, and you come back, and it's like, your wife's like, you know, here's your Bud Light, and sit down and watch the game. Kind of. You know what I mean? You take a shower, you get refreshed, and you, and you take a load off. That's the first one. In Hebrews, the word rest more means a place of, of living, an, an abode, a place to, to stay, you know, the promised land. So it's a place that you're going to go and live, and they use the word rest, and they really kind of go together, right? A, a, place, a place where you cease laboring, and we're going to get into that, you know, not working hard, and where you're at home, a place of comfort, security. So again, this is in your notes. The rest we can experience is one of security, comfort, and confidence. Think about that. Security, comfort, and confidence. It's the opposite of stress, fear, worry, anger. As I was kind of looking at this and what, what Jesus is trying to get across to us, it made me think of the house I want for my kids, right? And I picture my kids on a cold winter day where we got a fire going and it's nice and warm uh, and we got a great meal that I probably prepared. Um, and, and the kids are well-fed and warm, but more than that, they're themselves and they're loved and accepted, right? They're not having to pretend to be something there. Uh, they're not loved or accepted based on their achievements or grades or any of that, but just because they're, they're ours. They're, they're, and so it's a place of security, comfort. God is a way better father than any of us could ever be. That's what he wants, right? Come to me, kids. I, I love you. You know, all this stuff he wants to give. That's what we're talking about. That's what this rest is, and again, it's in the midst of the storm. I think that's important. Uh, it's not this, this modern gospel a lot of times we hear where he will make everything good in your life. It's not that. It's that when things are not good, we can have it in the midst. So this peace and rest is not contingent on outside events or forces. Man, that sounds really good. How many of you are sitting there like, I don't believe you, pastor. <laughs> you don't know my life, right? You haven't been there. This, this should be natural for a believer. But yet again, we know it often isn't. And even in verse 1 and verse 11, this writer acknowledges that. In verse 1, 4 1, says, uh, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So he puts in, like, this rest is possible, but a lot of us won't, won't reach it. There should be a little bit of a fear, which is an awe of God, and they're like, Oh, I'm missing out on something. Right? We see that. And then in verse 11, Right, strive to enter this rest. That seems a little bit contradictory, <laughs> right? Work hard to enter this, this rest, but meaning it's something to move forward to, right? Because some of us can miss it. Now, how do we apply this? I mean, how do we, we're gonna get more application later, but looking at the story of the Israelites, again, this writer is genius, inspired by God, obviously, but why is he making this comparison? What was it that caused them to not enter the land? What's it say at the end of, of chapter three? Two things, unbelief and disobedience. Unbelief and disobedience. He said, enter the land, right? I will give it to you. They didn't believe it. They said, no way, we gotta go in, the, the giants will kill us. And disobedience, go take it. No, that's the two big things that we see in this whole passage of why they did not enter the rest. Unbelief and disobedience. That applies to us as well. And that's his point. 
That's why he's taking this story from history and applying it to us. Our own unbelief and disobedience cause us to miss out on rest. Get that. Cause us to miss out on this rest. Listen, we must cease working to achieve what God freely gives. I probably should have had that in your notes. We work to fill something, right? We, we work for things that God freely gives. We, we work hard to make money so we can have security. Well, guess what? There ain't no security in money. God gives security. We, we work hard for an identity. So we, to be seen as something, whatever, God gives us an identity. He gives us a new name, right? We're his. That's our idea. So we work for these things that he freely gives. Look at verse, chapter 4, 3b to 4. Uh, he says this. Referring to, to the Father, it says, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's weird. I mean, I'll, I'll just be honest, right? That seems kind of weird, just thrown in there. Like, who could understand this? What's his point? God is now our example, right? He goes back to creation. He, for six days, God created, and then he rested on the seventh day. Did God rest because he was tired? No, right? Did he rest because he, he needed to recoup? No, he rested to appreciate what he did. He rested to enjoy his creation, right? He, he, he looked at this and said, this is very good. He rest, meaning his work was finished. That's the idea, is that he rested in his completed work. So what's the application for us? What's he talking about? Well, work here, it's not vocation, Right? It's not the labor that we're doing day in and day out to make money or whatever it is. That's not what it's talking about. This is the work to fulfill ourselves, right? Or, or the working to be complete, maybe for salvation. Here's the thing. Our rest is not dependent on our completed work, but on Jesus' completed work. That, that's the point. Why are we working for things Jesus freely gives? That's what he's saying. Jesus, on the cross, says, it is finished. We already saw in Hebrews chapter 2 where Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, meaning you can't be good enough. If you came in here thinking, man, I need to get my act together before I come to God, that's not it at all. We come as we are, and he cleans us up. He is the purification, right? So we can rest in him, not, not on our actions. So again, right, this, this rest is not dependent on our completed work, but on Jesus' completed work. Jesus was human, Nothing more done, needs to be done to accomplish your salvation. Jesus did it all. Let me add to that. Nothing else needs to be done to make you complete. Jesus did it all. And when Jesus chose you and brought you into his family, you are complete in him. Now, do, do we have some growth? Absolutely. <laughs> right? Can we get better? A absolutely. But we can be secure in him. I, I love the way it's written in Psalm 46.10. Cease striving and know that I'm God. Cease striving and know that I am God. Stop stressing over your identity, your accomplishments, your finances, all these, stop stressing. Now, we have to deal with those things. We do. We have to work. We have bills to pay. But we don't need to be consumed with that because Jesus promises to provide the things that we need. 
Uh, I went to a financial planner a couple years ago, just kind of curious, like, all right, here's, here's what I make, here's the life I've chosen as a pastor, here's our assets, and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, <laughs> you're going to work for the rest of your life. I'm like, cool. Anything I can do? Nope, probably not. I'm like, all right. <laughs> it, you know, I mean, and there's a piece like, well, that's kind of stressful. That, that kind of stinks, right? And the world would say, no, work hard, whatever. But guess what? I believe God called us to all the things we're, we're doing. And so I'm secure and content in, in that, in God's will. And, and if he wants me to be able to retire something, he'll provide for that, whatever, right? And so there's rest, but the world would not say that. And even my flesh would not say that, you know, this desire to be kind of secure with my retirement, whatever, I might not ever have that. And guess what? God says, no big deal. I got you. If you're faithful to me, I got you. Listen, you will find rest when you cease from your own efforts and counsels and embrace God's will. That's where the rest is, right? Not what's everything else saying. What is God saying? And submit to that. Embrace. I like that word, embrace. Embrace God's will for you. Stop fighting against it, right? Stop fighting against it. How do we find this rest? Well, we already saw in uh, Hebrews 1 that we have a God who speaks. He used to do it through prophets. In these final days, he's done it through his son. How does God primarily speak to us? Look at verses somewhere. 12, yes, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Scripture is now how God primarily speaks to us. He uses his people also, absolutely. And the Holy Spirit can, but it can never disagree what's in Scripture. This is always where it starts. Uh, look at uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. It'll be on the screen here. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. Um, leave that up, if you would, Luke. I want you to show you. So what is scripture good for? So right there, all scripture is God-breathed, meaning literally he went, and it appeared on the page. What's that mean? It means in the New Testament, whenever Jesus speaks the red letters, those are not better or more important, right? That was introduced in the last couple decades. We're going to make Jesus' words, you know, red as if that's something. No, because guess what? Those writings are written by apostles remembering what Jesus wrote. <laughs> so Jesus didn't write that. It's apostles remembering, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So all of it is inspired and all right, equally inspired. And what's it good for? Lucky for you, I get to draw, right? It's good for teaching, that's his first part, teaching, meaning. Uh, and if you like illustrations, draw this on your notes. He, it tells us what's true and what's right, right? And not everything, right? There's a lot of detail, but, but on all the important things, it teaches us what is true and what is right. And so we go to God's word, and if we don't know it, that's why we have a church and a community, and we have groups where it's like, I'm not sure what it says, and somebody else can Google it, right? And we can figure out what God's word says in context. But it's also good for what? Teaching. Hey, that's me. Okay. <laughs> I expected to see the verse. My bad. Reproof. Let me get out of the way. There's a little, it, there's a delay, if you haven't noticed. So I'll get out of the way. Don't be distracted by that. We know it's there. Um, that word is reproof, I promise. 
What does reproof mean? It means it shows us when we're off. So when we go to scripture, there's things that are off in your life, it will show you that. God will, and it might do it when you're reading a passage that you don't even think, and the Holy Spirit through that will, will show you where you're off. But guess what? Our God isn't up there just angry wanting to judge because God's word is also good for correction. See, when I go slower, my handwriting is really good. Correction, meaning it shows us how to get right. God is so good, right? He'll show us where we're off, but he wants us to be right. And so scripture is also good for correction. When you find yourself down in the, like, oh, I'm a mess. My whole life is a mess. I've done all this stuff. What do you do? Go to God's word. He'll show you how to get right, how to repent, those things. And then finally, uh, let me, I'm going to say it this way. Darn it. It'll show us how to stay right, right, right? Training in righteousness, meaning it shows us how to get right and then how to stay there, not perfection, right? We still struggle with sin, but that's what scripture is good for. And what, it, so that's the second Timothy passage, but our one in Hebrews, these are the two best scriptures, I think, talking about scripture. What's it say in, in our Hebrews? It is sharp as a two-edged sword. So you've probably been wondering why this is here. Or you're smart and you saw the, and you knew exactly. A two-edged sword. Now, back when this was written, they didn't have guns. People fought with swords. Um, and the Roman sword was a little bit shorter than this. Uh, but this is a, I mean, it's like this, but they were two-sided, like this. This is a real sword. This is a, a battle-ready sword, and it's sharp, so nobody come grab it and play with it afterward. This is what it's talking about, right? And so, so for us, again, Scripture is nice. and This is actually a little bit brutal. I, I mean, the, the way this verse is... Sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing joint and marrow, meaning cut you open. That's what this is talking about. A sword like this going in and cutting you open between, like, open up. What's, what's he talking about? That it opens us up to be seen. It reveals, what's it say? Our thoughts and intentions in our heart. Scripture is like a sword that does surgery on you, and sometimes it's brutal right? It it's, ugh, cuts you open. That's what scripture does. It cuts us open and reveals our thoughts and our intentions. So if you're not going to God's word, that's a big deal. When you do go and you go humbly, he's going to open you up a little bit and show you some things. And it doesn't always feel good, but what's he going to do? He's going to show you how to get correction. And he's going to show you how to stay right. That's what he'll do through his word. So, right, the sword of the the spirit, right? Elsewhere, we see the sword being scripture. So scripture is that surgical instrument that opens us up. Uh, and, and guess what? Look at the last verse there, verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we have to give an account. Meaning God sees it all anyway. God knows, you can't hide anything from him. But when he uses his word, that sword to open you up, he's revealing it to you. He knows what's there. He knows everything, but he wants you to know where you're at. He wants you to know the truth. There's things that you believe that are probably wrong. Me too. Scripture can correct those things. That's what this is talking about. You will experience real rest when you know God's word, believe it, obey it, and then trust God with every outcome. 
Trust God with every outcome. That's where he talks about faith, right? The message, believing it, united with faith. What is faith? It's believing and obeying. That's what faith is. And let's be honest. There is an already not yet aspect to this. We can experience this rest, but we'll experience it fully when Christ returns, right? That, that will be the perfection where sin is removed, but we can experience it now. So now let's get real practical real quick, and there's practical advice here. How can we incorporate what these verses are teaching? Here's number one. Slow down and trust God. Slow down and trust God. Where do we get that? Verse nine, he talks about the Sabbath rest. He says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The Sabbath rest. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath, uh, again, God rested on the seventh day. Call that a Sabbath. And then when he gave the law, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and God gave them the law, one of the laws was obey the Sabbath. That was Saturday. Saturday, the last day of the week, was a day where they were to not work and to worship, to spend time with their family, to rest, take a day off. That's the Sabbath. And, and the whole point of that is slow down. Worship. Think about me. Guess what? The Sabbath is no longer a law. The, the law, Jesus completed the law. He fulfilled the law. The Sabbath is no longer a law, but it is still a gift from God to us, it, right? It is still true that we can Sabbath, and that's what he's talking about here, right? This is written post Jesus' death and resurrection. The law is gone, but he's saying there is a Sabbath rest for you. We can experience a peace of God's rest by taking one day a week to rest from work and give praises to God. That sounds kind of old-fashioned, but it's true. And here's the idea of Sabbath. When he gave the Sabbath to the Israelites, uh, when they were wandering in the wilderness, one of their things was, hey, we're in this wilderness, we need to eat. So God gave them manna. Every morning, uh, as the dew was on the ground, he would drop this, this manna, uh, which literally means, what is it? That's what they called it, because they said, like, what is it? Well, we'll call it that. What is it? Manna. Um, and it was a, it was a bread-type substance that they would gather up, and they could make little cakes, out, and that's what they would eat. And they would gather it up every day. And God said, do not gather it for tomorrow. Only gather it for today. Because trust me, tomorrow there will be more manna. Because at first, they're like, well, we're going to gather up a bunch, because what if he doesn't give it tomorrow? Right? And the next day, they would, they would open up their thing, and it would be all rotten and full of worms. So only collect, and so he trained them, only collect for one day, except for on Friday, then you need to collect for two days. Because on Saturday, I don't want, on the Sabbath, I don't want you to go collect. Trust me, I'll provide for you on that day. And so they would collect two days. Every other day, if you collect two, it rots. Now it doesn't. It's good for two days. What a miracle. He's teaching them a lesson Trust me to provide for you. You don't have to work seven days a week. That's what he's trying to get across, right? The Israelites, like all of us, right? I just, I have too much to do, right? I gotta get all this done. He's saying, no, you don't, right? It's not about all, you, you don't have to accomplish everything I have. So chill out, <laughs> take a day and rest, right? Taking a day where we do not work reveals our faith that God will provide our needs, but I have so much work to do. Do it tomorrow, right? Or how about this, kids' sports. A lot of kids' sports are now on Sundays. They didn't used to be. This is a new thing, right? And we wrestle with that. And, and I'm not telling you not to do sports. We've wrestled with this. But on, what are we teaching our kids? And I would go to motivation, right? Because a lot of times, at least for us, sports is, is, is work, right? You're not resting. You're not worshiping when you're going to that. What's the motivation, 
and I, again, I'm not saying if it's on Sunday, don't do it. Some would say that. I'm not going to say that at all. I'm going to say, what is your day of rest? If it's not Sunday, when is it? But also part of this rest is worship and praise, which we typically do on a Sunday. So, I mean, it's kind of tough wrapping all this together, but what is your day? It doesn't have to be Saturday. It doesn't have to be Sunday, although we are called to gather together to worship, so I think that should be part of our Sunday. But what day fits your schedule? What day works for you, right? And if you don't have a day that works, you've got a problem. On it, I like, think about the priority of that. If I don't have a day where I'm gonna rest, then, then I'm working because I don't trust God to provide the things he's already, pro- he's already provided, and I'm having to work for those. He's saying, chill out, take a day, rest. Here's number two. Prioritize time in God's word and prayer. Prioritize time in God's word. What does scripture do? We already saw. It opens us up. It reveals, so we prioritize those things. And here, let me challenge you a little bit. A lot of times we Christians can have a Jesus on the go relationship, and I'm guilty of this. Get up, get your cup of coffee, and get going. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to a little bit of scripture or a sermon or something while I drive to work. And then I get there and I'm going to pray while I'm doing, I'm great at multitasking. I love earbuds, right? That I can be working on something and listen to something or talking on the phone. Jesus on the go, right? What if, think about a marriage. Is a marriage going to be great when you're always multitasking? No, wives kind of want some face-to-face time. Men, we do too, right? That's a relationship. Some face, meaning we should have some prioritized time with God. Uh, the daily bread, it, it's great, but it, it's, it's more like a daily cracker, right? Uh, they're awesome, and I encourage you to use them, but if that's it for you, you hop down and for three minutes, you read the thing, whoo, I spent time with God, and you move on. Again, it's not daily bread, it's a daily cracker, and it can be a piece of the whole, right? But are we prioritizing time with God? We, we guess what, look at your schedule, you prioritize some things. You have time for whatever really matters. This should be something that matters. Uh, I love Martin Luther. When he made the quote, he said, I have so much to do today, I'm gonna spend an extra hour of prayer this morning. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> right? All right, three. When life happens, go to God's word for instruction, believe it, and then do it. And trust him with the results. Trust him with the results. We're, we're gonna finish with one more thing. As I was wrestling with, with how, do we, how do we bring this home, uh, all this truth, he, here's our goal. Our goal is rest, right? On the outside, I'm going to say unbelief. So this here is, is people not saved. And by the way, we're all born apart from God. We're all born unsaved. You're not born a Christian because your parents were. Anyway, you're out here. This is, there's no rest apart from God. Right? And so life is going on like this, right? And sometimes you're getting close, whatever. And then you cross this line. And what's this line? We're going to call this salvation. Now, as we've been studying Hebrews, we know salvation includes several things. And this one would be mainly justification. The point where you say, I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And he's Lord of my life. You're saved. You're justified. You're made right with him. And so now we're here kind of going through life, but, but we're stuck in a certain ring, and we'll call, call this one spiritual awareness. And some people will be here and, and never leave this spot where I believe there's a God, Jesus, I believe he died and rose, but then there's never anything past that. 
And there's no peace in that. Now, I'll be honest. This would be what you might call a nominal Christian, which I think they're pretty non-existent, to be honest. I think most of those people, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, I'm good. I think most of those are probably not, just to be honest. I think they're, they're still out here. So we can enter here. And so there's some Christians in this, but then there's another line. And what do we cross here? Whoop. And I'm going to call this one commitment. Of course, I'm running out of ink. Let's call this commitment. Right? So now it's like, okay, Jesus is Lord. I'm going to start doing these things. And so in here, you go to church, right? Maybe you go to group. You start giving. You know, you start doing spiritual activity. That's what we're going to call this, which is good. Listen. But I'll be honest, there's also a lot of unbelievers in this area too. Doing spiritual activity, but never entering God's rest. This is where I think a lot of Christians stay, and I'm just busy, 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 and they're missing out on what God wants. And so again, here, the line change, but we're doing life here. But here's the, this is where we want to get to. And what's this line? Let's call this line relationship. Right? So you're doing life, ooh, and then you get to cross into this line. Here's where you start to experience rest. Now, you still do these things because they assist, but you enter here where there's the security, the, the confidence in him not based on, on you. And so we're going to call here loving, faithful, obedience. Meaning, in here, we're going to see what God's word says, right? And we're doing it. And we're faith, we're trusting him with the results. So often we read it and we do it, but then we take it back. Ooh, but I'm gonna try and accomplish what I want my way. Here, and again, loving. It's done from the relationship. That's where it changes, right? This relationship where it's no longer spiritual activity, but I'm entering into this loving relationship where I know what he's done. That's where rest is found. Again, we obey, we believe what he says. We go, you have to go to God's word to know what he says. You obey it, trusting him with the results. Now, will you be honest? Don't you want, you've already got the results defined, don't you? <laughs> and you want to use God to get to your results. How about you let him define the results? And if you live in obedience, you trust him with what that is. That's peace. That's rest. Because relationships can still be a mess. The government will probably still be a mess. Things around the world will be a mess. But you can be in peace because you can trust him with those results. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, um, I love you. I, I love that you give us rest and peace in the midst of circumstances. That you love us enough to, to take on flesh, to die for us. God, I, I beg that anybody in this room that does not know you would come to know you today. God, that there's any believers in here that are maybe um, still stuck in just spiritual awareness um, or doing religion, spiritual activity, that you would take them to that deeper spot of love for you, uh, where we know your word, uh, we, we obey it, trusting you with the results. That's where the peace is. And God, I also beg th that we would experience it and then it would flow out, that others would experience it as well. God, that other people would be saved in our community. We have so many people that need you, that people would be saved. Uh, they would come to know you, and then they would experience this rest. 
and pass it on, God, and that you would change our community, our families, uh, the world around us. We love you. In your name, amen. We're going to take communion during this next song. Uh, This is for believers. We have several stations, one, two, three. Uh, Back there is the gluten-free. Again, this is a time to remember what Jesus did and look forward to him coming back. So take a minute, right? Ask God to reveal any sin you might need to confess and then take at your convenience. I'm going to be in the back. If you're here, you're like, I've never experienced that rest or you've never surrendered to Jesus as Lord. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. Let's worship. It's you I hold.